Hey, this is Phil. And before we start the podcast episodes, I'm going to send out an SOS, not a save our ship or save our show, but I just need a little bit of help and I really do need it urgently. Listen, I got to create a bunch of podcast episodes in a very short period of time because I'm not going to be able to do podcast episodes weekly or record them weekly coming up. We'll still publish them every week. The show will go on and everything will continue as normal. But right now, during the recording and editing process, I need to just compress the time frame up front. So I need help in one of three ways. The first way, send me your podcast episode ideas. Something that it was either we talked about a long time ago or something is that we didn't cover yet. Something you'd like to hear. And if you can send maybe a couple of bullet points, that would help get the podcast episodes written. You can email me, my first name, phil, P-H-I-L, at scannerschool.com. Number two, ask me your questions. This will help me on our monthly Ask Scanner School session. You can go to scannerschool.com slash ask, submit the form, use the speak pipe link, or dial 516-308-2885, which is probably the best way that you can ask your question for the podcast. Number three, the final way that you can help, and I think it's probably the most beneficial and the, the most fun way that you can help me out here, is come on the podcast episode and be a guest. Go to scannerschool.com slash guest. That's G-U-E-S-T, scannerschool.com slash guest. Be a part of the podcast. We'll sit down, we'll have a conversation, we'll we'll go through what it is that, you know, whatever it is you want to talk about, about the, the scanner radio hobby, we'll record it, it'll be casual, laid back, it goes to an editor, there's no pressure to get it right, it's a good, fun time. And if you know of somebody that would be a good guest, please invite them on the podcast as well. Thank you so much for the help. Again, I just need a little bit of help getting things recorded and edited in a very short time frame. This podcast isn't going anywhere. I just have to work it into my schedule at the moment. Thanks again. Now let's get on to today's podcast episode. All units stand three. It now appears as though shots are being fired. All officers use caution. It has been confirmed. Suspects are armed and are firing at police. Building fire. Welcome to Scanner School. My name is Phil Lichtenberger. My amateur radio call sign is W2LE, and my GMRS call sign is WQXJ920. This podcast is here to teach you everything to know about the scanner radio hobby, and today we are going in with a warning here, a warning about trunk systems, and more importantly, sights that you may see on a trunk system. You see, sights, when programmed incorrectly in your scanner, can actually cause havoc on what it is you can and cannot receive on a trunk system. You see... There's a certain way that trunk systems are set up, and they're designed in this particular way so that not only is it more spectrum efficient, it's a better way of using resources, but there's a way that these things can be set up so that they are also better layer managed. And what I mean by that is who goes exactly where. Now, before we get any further in this week's podcast, I want to take a few minutes to thank our Patreon 
supporters. Now, Patreon is an affordable way for you to support the podcast and our upcoming expansion into YouTube for 2022. So think of Patreon as the PBS model of helping out Scanner School. For a monthly or yearly donation, not only do you help support the podcast, but depending on your donation tier, you will receive certain benefits. The most popular benefit tier being our $5 a month or the $51 a year tier. It's the same tier. We just discount if you can pay us over a year. Now, this tier offers the podcast and YouTube videos early. And also, you receive a free squelchy pack of stickers, several discounts, and access to our monthly live scanner radio roundtable discussion we hold monthly on Zoom. Oh, and by the way, most of the Patreon levels also get a special version of the podcast that does not include the middle advertising break in each episode. Now, find out more about Patreon and our supporting tiers by visiting scannerschool.com Patreon. I'd also like to take a moment here and thank all of our Patreon supporters. Alan Gonzalez, Arthur Alterac, Arthur Heron, Bill Kay, Bob Rops, Bob Middleton, Brandon Sammons, Brian King, Chris Paris, Craig Harper, Dan, Dave Pasco, David C., Danny Crotty, Dylan Hyder, Ed Walsh, Edward Bramlett, Glenn Wright, Greg Johnson, Guy Lee, I Hate Junk Mail, Jack Haycock, Jacques Berry, James Broxson, James Felling, James Peruta, Jay Reed, Jeff Block, Jeff Chapman, Jeff McLeod, Jenny Taylor, Jim B., Jim Heinrich, Joe Curtis, John Cordiff, John Keel, John Sweeney, John Goldenberg, Joshua Robb, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, Kevin Zwicky, Lenny Bauer, Les Stevenson, Lloyd R., Mark Beebe, Mason Kramer, Michael Gorman, Michael Kroger, Mike Lopez, Mike Piltz, Nicholas Stenger, Paul Teal, Paul Seish, Randy Lee Wright, Raymond Hill, Rich Palomari, Ronnie Box, Sal Marandola, Scott Lefgren, Terry Wright, Tim Mazza, Todd Glendi, and William Arcan. Okay, so many of us have programmed and set up trunk systems in our scanners before. So if you haven't set any of these up, let me give you a quick rundown on how trunk systems get programmed into your scanner, and then we'll do a quick rundown on what trunk systems are so that everybody is kind of on the same spot here, not assuming that everybody knows everything, right? We're all, we're all at a certain point in our journey through the scanner radio hobby. So a trunk system has a couple of different components that make it work. First, we have to have frequencies. A frequency can either be a control channel or a voice channel. Now, of course, you can also have telemetry and other secondary channels as well. But for the most part, it's control channel, which has all the data about the trunk system being broadcast. And this comes over the air from the, you know, the main trunk. Let's put the brains of the trunk system, right? We'll just, we'll just put it that way. The controller is really what it is. So the control channel has all the overhead data. It's noise. It's data noise when we listen to it. That, that's kind of what it is. And you'll basically get data information off there, such as the trunk system ID. And it's system ID and it's WAC in code, basically, right? And that we normally see in radio reference listed. And it's usually like, say, for a Motorola system, it could be BEE00 that we normally see for WAC. In. And a system ID, for example, would be a three digit hex code, maybe one alpha zero or something, right? Something like that. Now, on this control channel, not only do we get, the scanner gets the system information broadcasted to it, but it also gets information about the system, such as its band plan, which can include the offset frequencies, the step size, whether or not it is phase one or phase two capable. If it's a DMR system, it'll tell the flavor of DMR. If it's a type two system or 
an LTR system, you know, different, different flavors give different information about the trunk system. So we're going to talk primarily here about P25 since it's the most common. But again, a lot of what we talk about here can also be played over with DMR and, and type 2 and, and EDAX, okay? So what else do we have on a trunk systems control channel? Well, we also have any neighboring sites, okay? These sites are layers in the trunk system. Or it could be an adjacent transmitter that's part of the same trunk system. And what this basically is doing is it is transmitting to the subscriber radio, which is the actual end user, the two-way radio, not us, but the two-way radio that is out there. And it says, hey, this is who I am. This is me, the control channel. And this is also where you could go should you ever lose me. So I'm giving you a place to hand off to should I go away somewhere. This allows the subscriber to go somewhere, whether or not if they're traveling geographically and they end up on another losing the control channel or hitting crutch like that, or should the control channel just up and go toes up, that kind of thing. Okay. Our scanners don't do anything with that data, unfortunately. Our software defined radio receivers don't do anything with that with that information. Okay. It's primarily for the two way radio system. What else happens on this control channel? Well, we also get information over the air about what talk groups are active. Because, again, radios need to know where to go. And the control channel is there to tell everybody on the network, whether it's us monitoring them as a scanner user or the actual people using it, when a talk group becomes active, because then we know to go and listen to that talk group. On some systems, like P25 and Motorola Type 2, you get a channel number. In fact, you even get that with the EDAX and LTR. And also with uh, type type two, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought as to what I'm going through here, because I wrote this whole this whole podcast script thinking in my mind P25, but no, it goes beyond that. And the difference beyond some of the trunk systems though is that type two and P25, basically the spec was that the control channels are hard coded in the calculation as to where to go. So if a control channel says go to channel. 13 or 25 or 462, the radio knows where to go based off, cal off of calculating the offset and the base frequency. Okay, When it comes to DMR, when it comes to NXDN, when it comes to EDAX and LTR, we need to program those into our scanners. That's, that's, that's the log logical channel numbering or the LSN as well as the other name for DMR. And basically what happens with those is that the control channel says go to channel... 23, but we need to program into our scanners exactly what 23 is so that these trunk systems or these, these uh, our radios know exactly where to go and the trunk system says to go to that channel. Another little trigger here or another little asterisk is the fact that with some NXDN systems, that information is already broadcasted over the air as well. So again, a little fuzzy, but the basic concept is the same, okay? What else happens over these trunk system control channels that really we're not able to see unless we're using software like DSD plus unit trunker or SDR trunk is the fact that there's more information going overhead, such as the call sign, what radios are being affiliated on the system, basically what radios are being turned on, what radios are changing channels and if their grants are being approved or rejected. You know, basically if they turn a channel and not supposed to be there, the trunk system is going to say, no, you can't be here. And they're going to reject that. 
so there's a lot of different things that, that happen out over this trunk system that we really have no care for in a trunk system world. But for those of us that have inquiring minds and we need to know, there's software out there that lets us see this. Okay, so we kind of have the rundown of the control channel. But what else happens on a trunk system that we need to be aware of? Well, we've got these voice channels, right? And these voice channels are where the actual radio conversations take place. So again, the control channel will basically say, hey, talk group 123 is going to channel 5. And if we want to listen to 123, now we go to channel 5. And what ends up happening is once that talk group 123 disappears, when it's no longer in use, we all go back to the control channel and we wait for future instructions. Okay, well, what channel, talk group 123 is now on channel 10. And then we all go to channel 10 to listen to talk group 123. And then we all come back to the control channel. And this kind of goes on and on with multiple different talk groups happening at the same time. Okay, so now we know that we've got frequencies and what the frequencies are used for, and then we've got talk groups. So talk groups are the actual groups of users that kind of migrate and move around the trunk system together. So a talk group might be first precinct dispatch, it might be fire dispatch, it might be south, south tactical, it might be the county transit, it might be the DPW, right? And each one of these have their own groups, and they're, cons they're called talk groups. So again, if the first precinct comes on, the dispatcher for the first comes on, and they would need to talk to everybody in the first, they key up their microphone. The control channel says, okay, stand by. Let me find you a place to go. Okay, you can go here. And then it's broadcast out. Anybody on this control channel, you need to go to this frequency. And with that, it also says to the person keying up, you're clear to talk now. The radio gives the acknowledge tone. The user talks. They let go of the microphone. Everybody comes back to control channel. Somebody responds, maybe the RMP or the unit that the dispatcher is trying to receive, keys up. Again, same process happens. The control channel says, stand by. Let me give you some place to go. Yep, you can go. Gives the clear tone after everybody's moved over. Oh, I'm sorry. Gives the clear tone when the voice channel is available, basically, and the they they go ahead was given to go there. If you're listening to somebody's radio or maybe you were listening or watching live on patrol, I think is the new name of live PD. And sometimes you'll hear the dispatcher key up and they get the boop, right? That, that, that boop tone. Basically, that means that they did not get the clear tone from the control channel because that talk group is now in use and it's not available for them to come on to. And that because there's somebody else using it. So now we've talked about a trunk system, a really quick view of how it works the frequencies and the talk groups that are on there. And where are these frequencies on? Well, they're sites. And this is where things start to get a little fuzzy. Because trunk systems can have multiple sites. Trunk systems can be large. They can be small. They can be multi-level, multi-county, multi-state, single state. They can be small systems ranging inside of a building to ranging across thousands of miles. Okay? But they all start with a single site. So let's define what a site is here. A site, a, t a site in radio reference, and a site on paper is not the same as a transmitter site. It can be, but it shouldn't be thought of that way. Because when it comes to simulcast, we can have multiple transmitters that are linked together across a large geographical area that all key up at the exact same time as one giant umbrella system. 
And that is called a site. It's a simulcast site. So you can have transmitters that are 10 miles away from each other. You can have 10 of those transmitters, right? And so you basically have over 100 miles of linked repeaters or, or linked transmitter locations acting as one giant site. Okay. So that's something that we need to keep in the back of our minds. Another way that we can think of sites are layers. So layers can be for, say, any, any town, this town, my town, and your town, right? could be all what we see in radio reference. Or we can see north simulcast, east simulcast, west simulcast, north, south, east, west. I left one out, right? Simulcast. But these sites can also be itinerant sites, or they could be deployable. They could be sites on wheels, towers on wheels, whatever they want to call it, briefcase transmitters, right? These are deployable and can go out to special events, whether they be an EOC location, a mass casualty incident. They could be used for air shows, sporting events, political events, community events, disaster events, those kinds of things where you need to have either more capacity for the users that are there or for more coverage for users that are in an area. So you see we have a lot of different things to worry about here. Let's make things even clearer as mud, <laughs> clear as mud here. We can say that these layers or sites as we see them in radio reference can be used for large geographical areas such as counties. They can be set up to fill in small holes that aren't covered by the larger towers, such as towns that are in a valley or between mountain ranges or that are just bowls in the original or the, the surrounding topography, right? So we can also have sites and layers set up based on who uses them. And we need to know this when we set up our radios. Layers can be set up, for example, non-public safety versus public safety. You could have an entire layer that has nothing but DPW, buses, transport, water authority, snow plows, anything that's county related that is not public safety could be on one layer or one site. And the other site in the system could be fire, police, OEM, EMS, MedCom. Again, we need to know this because what ends up happening is if we program in a site that we don't need, we are wasting time scanning back to the talk groups we want to hear. Likewise, if we don't program in the right site, we're going to look at our scanner going, well, I, it, it, it's showing me it has a control channel, but I never hear anything. Why is that? Well, because you put the wrong site on there. So we've got more warnings and more tips after this break that's coming up right now. As a reminder, anybody who's a $3 or more Patreon supporter doesn't get this break right here. If you want to support us on Patreon, you go to scannerschool.com slash Patreon. Oh, by the way, you could also get the podcast early at the $3 month level. For everybody else, we'll catch you in just one second. Hey, did you realize it takes us almost $100 a week just to have this podcast episode professionally edited and sent over to you? This doesn't even include website and podcast hosting, administrative help, and other monthly subscriptions that are required to put the podcast out there. 
Now, you can help us offset these costs when you shop online. So if you're looking for a scanner radio or some software, looking to bid on items over on eBay, or if you're looking to purchase anything, and I mean anything, on Amazon, you can help support Scanner School in the process. And this doesn't come at any extra cost to you. So please check out ScannerSchool.com support for the multiple different ways that we have out there that you can help support us when you shop online. Again, ScannerSchool.com support. Are you looking to learn more about the Scanner Radio Hobby? We currently have courses on how to get started and up and running with software-defined radios and how to turn your SDR into a fully functioning scanner radio. With free software, you can see more and do more with trunking than ever before. And with new courses scheduled for the upcoming months, our offerings will be expanding into both Uniden and Whistler hardware and software. Check out our courses at courses.scannerschool.com or by looking for the link in this podcast description. National Communications Magazine is your personal library of scanner, CB, GMRS, FRS, MURS, and two-way radio articles written by the best minds in the business over the past three decades. Your NatCom personal online access account allows you to download the newest issues of America's Hobby Radio Magazine, as well as back issues, too. Visit NatComMag.com to download your free sample issue and sign up today. Did you know that a pager can make a great addition to your scanner radio collection. And even if I didn't own East Coast pagers, I still have one or maybe a couple of pagers as a part of my scanner radio setup. This is because a pager can be used to just monitor your local fire department or your regional departments. And if you set it up correctly to alert you when the tones are sent over the air, then the pager will remain silent until you need to know what is going on. This frees up your scanner to monitor everything else that's going on besides your local stuff or can prevent you from missing the local stuff because your scanner is busy doing other things. Now, pagers aren't just limited to fire dispatches anymore. Unication has great solutions to monitor both analog and P25 paging systems where many public safety and police departments are switching over to. Swiss Home and Apollo make great analog solutions as well, and all three still sell Pogsack and Flex pagers, still in use by many departments for text alerting. East Coast Pagers is an Apollo, Swiss Home, and Unication dealer serving the North American market, and of course is one of my online companies. So if you're looking for a personal use pager or one for your department, contact us for a free quote and let us know you're a Scanner School listener for something a little extra with your order. For our full inventory, or request a quote, or just to contact us, please visit eastcoastpagers.com. Okay, so let's talk about a little bit of a tip here for you. So when it comes to our Whistler radio programming, we can program in all of the sites together and let the scanner roll through them. Or we could program in our sites one at a time. If we do the sites one at a time, the issue becomes that we have to now assign the talk groups repeatedly to the different sites. It becomes a real pain in the neck. With Uniden and DMA-style scanners, it was a little bit different with the programming. And we can actually list all of the sites under a system and then all of the talk groups under the system and then the scanner will go through each site looking for this talk group list that we've defi defined one time. A little bit of difference in the way these are programmed. 
But what also makes Uniden a little bit different and I think better than the Whistler side of the house on these is the fact that we can assign our quick keys to the site itself and not to the system. So if you wanted to assign, let's say, your county's trunk system and you've got north, south, east, and west simulcast on there, you can put them all on the same key and completely lock out the system with one key. However, if you want a little bit more flexibility and control off of this, and you want to do north on one, two would be south, three would be east, and four would be west, you can fine-tune your scanning by locking out one, two, three, or four, and then effectively only locking out or unlocking north, south, east, and west simulcast sites when you go through your scanning. This could be very important. What else is a issue when it comes to multiple sites? Well, if we have a pager, like a Unication G-Series pager, which again, by the way, I do sell the Unication G-Series pagers over at eastcoastpagers.com. And again, if you want to buy one over there, email me first. I'll send you a quote. Hint, hint, get a quote for me. And then we'll, we'll work with you, all right? Let's put it that way. Um, the Unication pagers lock onto a site and will not move until it loses the site. This could be a problem. Why can this be a problem? Because as we said earlier, a site may only cover DPW and other county services, but you want to listen to public safety. And if you're a pager locked onto a site that's only covering services and not public safety, you're never going to hear anything on your pager. Same is true when it comes to software such as Unitrunker, SDR Trunk, Pro96Com, right? All of these trunk analyzing software sits on a control channel. But what's really cool about this software is the fact that you can put it one SDR on one control channel and one on another, or if, if it's flexible enough, we have multiple VFOs, you can put program the VFOs to monitor two control channels, and then we can start seeing the differences between the different layers. So what we want to remember is don't expect to hear every talk group on every layer. It's not going to happen that way. Also, don't program in your scanner and expect to hear every layer because, again, you're not going to hear a layer that's 100 miles away from you or a site that's 100 miles away from you. You're not going to want to do that anyway, right? The other issue is don't expect a user that's 100 miles away from you to be on the site you are listening to if that layer doesn't cover where they are. Because what ends up happening is, what's really cool about the way that these P25 trunk systems work, and even the DMR and all that stuff too, is the fact that talk groups don't show up on layers or sites unless a end user has, has their radio set to that talk group. Basically, when they turn their radio on and turn it to a particular talk group, it enables that talk group on that layer or on that site. Then, and only then, will that talk group show up and be able for us to hear it with our scanners on that particular site. So, for example, if everybody's on the North Simulcast site, would you ever expect to hear that talk group on the South Simulcast? No, because there's no physical users on the South Simulcast. There's no reason to cover that talk group down there because there's no end user subscribers on there. It's a waste of resources to have it on there. But if somebody needs to go get a part from the depot that's on the South end or borrow some or borrow the part from a user 
that's on the south side and they go for a road trip during the day and they've got their radio with them and they cross over into the south system, guess what? Now, all of a sudden, that talk group needs to be on the south simulcast because a user who's normally in the north travels to the south and they need to be able to communicate with the people in the north. So with that, that talk group shows up on the south system. Of course, when they come back north and they're no longer on the south system, that talk group disappears. That's why you would never expect to hear a city that's hundreds of miles away that might be in the same trunk system where you are, and that's why you can't hear them. Another issue that we have to remember, though, is, and this is what I see a lot where I am right now, and this is pretty much the, the biggest and final warning I have for you when it comes to programming systems, is you really need to understand where everybody is. So, for example, in my neighboring county, there's a 700 simulcast and there's an 800 simulcast. The 700 simulcast system is what covers the DPW, the buses, the transit, okay? The 800 megahertz system is where we find PD and FD. However, we do find that there's one village that runs their fire and ambulance responses on the 700 system. Why their radios are set up that way, I don't know. But the trick is here, if we want to listen to PD, we don't need to put the 700 megahertz system or the 700 megahertz summercast layer in our scanners. It's not going to do us any good. It's not going to do us good because when our scanner scans 800 and then it's going to go to 700, it's going to sit there for a second or two to sample the control channel, know where it's at, say, hey, is this talk group active down here? No, it's not. Then it goes back to 800. And now we come back to 800. We figure out what the control channel is. We look for the talk group list. Oh, yeah, this talk group is active on this frequency. And we've missed two, three, four seconds of that conversation, right? We've wasted time. So that's why it's very important to understand where these talk groups are showing up on these systems. And that's, that's my biggest warning here. Now, how do we figure this out? Well, if you've got a DB admin like myself on Radio Reference, I will put in the heading or in the category descriptions what layer you can expect to hear those talk groups on. How do I know this? Well, either I'm listening with two scanners and I'm, I'm keeping track of what I'm hearing where, or I'm using software like SDR Trunk or Unitrunk or a DSD Plus, and I'm watching the different sites or the different layers, and I'm looking to see which one has the activity most of the time, right? Or all of the time. And then I can say, without a reasonable doubt, that this talk group is on this layer. Again, we ran into a problem. I was working with somebody who is um, in Texas. And of course, I'm in New York, so I have no idea what's going down down in Texas. And we were programming up a, his uh, SDR trunk setup. And we were trying to monitor on the, I think it was the Gatters system. And we were trying to monitor site one. We couldn't figure out why site one wasn't working. Whatever reason, it wasn't working, but trunks uh, site seven was. And we looked at things on a map, and, and they all seemed to have the same frequencies, or not the same frequencies, but the same tower locations, right? So if we heard one, we should hear the other. Well, we went into the forums, and we found out that site one had pushed all of its traffic over to site seven, and that site one was no longer going to be used to carry any voice traffic. At least that's the way I remember it. 
So with that said, it's always good to know where things are, okay? Part of the hobby is learning, right? Part of the hobby is understanding how these things work. So my recommendation to you is when you see sites in radio reference, don't think of them as being one physical location. Think of sites as being layers, like an ogre or like an onion. Ogres have layers. Trunk systems have layers. If you're confused by this, let me know. Send me a message by going to scannerschool.com slash ask, and we'll clarify it. If you use the SpeakPipe link or you give me a call at 516-308-2885 and ask that question, I'll put you in a running for a free tutoring session. So I really hope that today's podcast episode has helped you understand a little bit more about layers or sites on a trunk system. If you know somebody that needs a little bit of guidance with this, please share the podcast episode with them because that is how we help more people with the scanner radio hobby is by having you share the podcast. So with that, my name is Phil Lichtenberger. My amateur radio call sign is W2LIE. And this was another episode of Scanner School where we teach you everything you need to know about how trunk systems work and why you should be a little bit careful when you look at layers or sites. 73, everyone. We'll catch you all next week.